0: We're in Romans chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 13, verse 10. And I'll go ahead and read to you uh, through the rest of the chapter. I'll be reading from the New American Standard 2020 this morning. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning considering that which you have for us that you would minister to us through your word. Help us to use your word to evaluate our own lives, to allow you to really to shed your light upon our hearts. Lord, help us to remember that the night is almost gone, that the day is near, and that we would rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. It's good to see everybody who came back after last Sunday about submitting to authority and, and such. And, uh, but I, I, I think these are difficult things that we have to wrestle with and we have to consider. And we have to uh, ask the Lord really to search our own hearts, and sometimes, sometimes in 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 trying to be obedient to what I believe the Lord is telling me, um, it doesn't mean I want to do it, right? It doesn't mean I want to. Uh, but but nonetheless, um, wanting to be obedient uh, to the Lord and wanting to try to show. Uh, to uh, my faithfulness to him, which I believe that when we are faithful to God, he turns right around and becomes even more faithful to each of us and gives us even a greater grace to, to, to grow uh, in the knowledge and in, in, uh, uh, and in our faith, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just curious, and I don't ask for show of hands often, of course, I don't want to ask for a show of hands later to ask if anybody has caroused, gotten drunk, had sexual promiscuity or debauchery this past week. Because I'm not, yeah, I hope not. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to major on that this morning. But does this sound end time-ish to any of you? You don't have to raise your hands since nobody did. But the nods and the smile, it does sound a bit in time-ish ish because it's using some of the same words and some of the same ideas that we read about in other passages in the Bible that talk about end times where he tells us and I'll I'll switch over to the new King James in in verse 11 and he says and do this that is do what that is love your neighbor Love your neighbor, knowing the time that it is high time. I thought Spaghetti Western when I read that. I don't know, but that's what it says. You know, when it's high time, in other words, it is now this time of preeminence. Uh, It is an important time uh, that we should no longer walk in darkness or that we should cast off the deeds of darkness because our salvation is nearer than when we first began. He actually says it's high time to, to awaken, to, to wake up. Who's he writing this to? Christians. He's telling them to wake up. Now, we have that saying, wake up and smell the coffee. This is kind of what this passage is really saying. But it's, it's, really, it's, it's really he's saying, wake up and get dressed for the day, is what he's really saying here. He's using that, that analogy and and um he's he's telling us that that we need to love our neighbor because he is using end time language, and there was some considerable debate that I read about whether this is an end time passage or not. I think it's possible I think it has to be taken in consideration, but I think it's. And it might be really, now hear me out, it might be really the best end time passage that we have, at least in my opinion. Why? Because it's not talking chronology, which in the Bible, in my opinion, your mileage may vary, but in the Bible, chronology in future prophecy to me is very vague, but it's using end-time language, and Paul being a rabbi is possibly dropping hints here. Using end-time language, he, what he's doing is he's spurring our imagination, going, I've heard that before. This idea of the day and the night and, 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 and uh, the time, which is the Greek word chronos, uh, excuse me, the Greek word kairos, not the Greek word chronos. Um, and it may have end-time implications. When was this written? In the 50s A.D., not the 1950s, by the way, but in the 50s A.D. So this has been an expectation that the Holy Spirit has desired for the church to live in for the entire time of the church period. And our preparation... Who we are as Christians, the life that we have been called to live because we live in the understanding of Christ can return at any time, we've been called to love one another. And, and it, I thought about this because Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but he asked a very important question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? And, and, and it's, it's my opinion. That's the best I can do on this, all right? But it's my opinion that we should be focusing more on Romans 13 than on other end time prophecies. Because what I've found about some, not all, some. Some people who are, who are they, they, they can give you a, a, a hypothetical chronology of the end times from start to finish and then from finish to start again. They know it that well, but they don't live this out. They don't live out Romans 13. There's there's discrepancies. Now, there are discrepancies and inconsistencies with each and every one of us. Is that not true? Well, maybe some of you. I'm going to go blind staring at both lights today, but that's all right. I've got spots in front of my eyes now. But because we know the time, it is time for us to wake up and smell the coffee. And it's time for us to get dressed. And it it goes back to 14, uh, verse 14, uh, where, where it says to put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, you know who you know who was converted by this verse, Augustine. Augustine. When I'm not going to go into the full story, but but he he's he's wrestling with God outside in the backyard, if you will, and he hears children playing uh, next door, and they're saying, "Pick up and read, pick up and read." And of course, they're not saying it in English, but anyway, so he picks up the Bible and he goes right here to Romans 13, and he reads. Uh, verse 14 of of, uh, chapter 13 where it says put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This was the man who earlier had prayed Lord give me chastity but not yet. He was a very promiscuous individual until he got saved. And it's telling us here that knowing the time, this, 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 this perfect tense, is talking about a completed action that happened in the past. So I'm going to give go a lot of grammar this morning. A completed action that happened in the past, but the emphasis is not on what happened in the past. It's the emphasis is on the effect that we have today based on what happened. In other words, you knew. About the time. And how is that speaking into your heart? How is that causing you to live? And and Paul has given us really in chapters 12 and in 13 an incredible framework for how to live as a Christian. That's why we spent so much time in chapter 12. I, I thought about spending more time in chapter 13, but I didn't know if any of us could bear it, to be honest with you. But it's there. You have to contend with it. You have to you have to deal with it. You can't whitewash it away. And 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 try to work these truths into our lives. And, and uh, of course, we we covered some of this on Wednesday night. But this idea of knowing, we knew that the time was coming. We knew that it was the time to wake up. This this word. Kairos uh, it could o- is in some uh, translations and in some passages is translated seasons. That is a point or a period of time uh, with, 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 uh, with an emphasis, not, not really an emphasis on a precise chronology, by the way. I find that to be interesting. I did some more digging on this word. It's an emphasis on a period of time and is often... a a marked period of time whereby God does some type of work in that time frame. But it's not a strict emphasis on chronology. I'll just let you wrestle with that one. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, uses this particular word where it says, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. So it's a very full word in, in, uh, in the uh, New Testament as well. Jesus used the same word when he told the Pharisees, you know the signs of the seasons, but you do not know the signs of the time. You don't know the signs of the Messiah coming. Uh, and he criticized them for not knowing the signs. Personally, I don't I, I read I read Matthew 24 and I get a totally different take than what's normally being taught today. So either they're wrong or I'm wrong, or maybe neither one of us are right. But nonetheless. When the Son of Man does come, will he find faith on the earth? See, that's a really important question to me. It's a question that has bothered me for years. Um, And it has bothered me because I look at them, the church, them, and I shake my head. City of God, city of man. I'm going to bring that back into here. Of course, I already mentioned Augustine this morning. But the city of God is not only them out there, but it is us. The city of God is not only them and us, but it's me or you. And the city is the individual soul writ large. In other words, sometimes what we see in others is really some of the things that we see in our own self. And and again, going back to this verse in in, uh, Luke 18, 8, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? And and how much that bothered me? I have begun really in the last few years, I think, to be able to look less at them and to look more at myself which is I really I really think that's what really Romans 18 is really all about. Excuse me. Romans 13 is all about. It is 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 reading this chapter and really evaluating where we are and how is it that we love our neighbor and we're told to love our neighbor because we know the time. We know that this is a time frame by which God is doing a special work in our life and and Eventually that time will be over. The Lord will return. He will set up his kingdom. And is he going to find faith when he comes? He didn't put the question there because they were running out of room or words. I think it's a real important thing for us to consider. And and he uses this this uh, this analogy of, of waking up. And it's an interesting word because the word awake here in the Greek is the same word that is used in Acts chapter three verse seven, where it says, "And he, referring to Peter, took him the lame man." By the right hand and lifted him up. So it, he's using this analogy of waking up, and and being lifted up by the Lord to walk in a greater fullness of life. Now he uses this analogy of of of. Uh, of night and day where he says in verse 12 the night is far spent the day is at hand which i read that and, and all kinds of end time verses start popping into my head i'm not going to i might cover this more in more detail on wednesday night but i'm going to i, I kind of want to bring attention to it but then set it aside cuz i really want to get into verse uh 13 and and 14 i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in 13 all right cuz i don't think any of you went out and did what verse third? Well, never mind. Anyway, but the night is far spent; the day is at hand. It's describing that period of time. I'm actually up during that time of the day, sometimes, where you just start to see the light come out of the eastern sky. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I catch it. (laughs) Some of you wish you didn't know it so well, do you? I like getting up. Well, I love to watch the sunrise. I just hate having to get up to do it. So if any of you would like to, next time you're up and it's a great sunrise, if you want to get out your camera or uh, film it for me real fast and then text it to me, I'd appreciate it. But that's what this is talking about here, this idea that anticipation of the dawn, that anticipation of the day you know and 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 when I am out when it's that early, I know that I try to be careful walking around because you know I could stumble over something and and then as the sun starts to come up, I'm able to do what I'm able to see better and and just like in the morning um. When I wake up, I get dressed. Because, I, like I said, this passage is about waking up and getting dressed for the day. I wake up and I get dressed. I think, I think well, you do what you do, right? Most of us do that. We wake up, we get dressed. And it, it tells us here that we're to, um, to me this is interesting, the word uses that he has here. Because he says that the night is far spent. I'm in verse 12. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Now, it, it, the word, I don't know if cast off is really the best translation in this. And it, um, the, the New American Standard says, let's rid ourselves of the deed of darkness. Really, to me, not much better. Because I, as I looked up this word, this word cast off or rid ourselves. It refers to this idea. It's a word that's used to when you take off your clothes. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that just foul up the analogy? Because when you wake up, what do you do? You get dressed. And what is Paul saying here? Wake up and then take off your clothes. Or perhaps what he is saying here implying now they didn't have a they didn't have a closet back then okay but i'm going to use the closet analogy anyway you ever go to your closet and you decide what am i going to wear today right i think we all do that to some degree what am i going to wear no i don't want to wear that yeah i want to wear that um and in part what Paul is stirring up here is this decision when we do wake up, what type of a person are we going to be? What's that old saying the clothes make the man? something like that? I mean I don't know if that's even true or not, but but um, but nonetheless, I, I, the question begs, I think to be answered to each of us, each and every morning, what type of a people are we going to be? And he's first telling us to cast off, to take off the works or the deeds of darkness and then to put on the armor of light. To put on the armor of light. In in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking and and he says to his apostles, to the disciples, he says, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That word endued with power from on high, the word endued uh, is the same word here that's translated put on. You could actually translate uh, Luke twenty four forty nine as when you are clothed with power from on high. So he's using this, This he's drifting away from this night and dark analogy into what type of clothing are we going to wear? What are we going to put on? And, and he tells us to put on the armor of light. Now, without taking the time to go there this morning, my mind went to the book of Ephesians where it lists the what we call the armor of God. And and I I think that that's something to really to remember each and every day is that that we are called to put on this armor of God. We're to put on the armor of light. So it's light is the opposite of darkness. Darkness. Thank you. Some of okay. So and the light represents. The day, conversely, the night, the darkness represents... I'll let the cat out of the bag. You already know this, right? The darkness represents the night. And we've been called to wake up and get dressed and go walk in the light. To walk in the day. And, and we're to take off those deeds of darkness. And he lists the deeds of darkness. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read them to you out of the New King James. I think they're actually a little bit more fun, although um, the ESV. Anybody you got an ESV? The ESV. Let uh, me tap into that just a second. Um, where it says in verse 13, it says, "Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness." I believe the ESV says orgies, right? So not in drunken orgies. Now, who did that last week? Any, no, we won't do it. No, I'm sure none of you did. I, I'm not going to go real deep into this, but I, I think that this is there's a a, a picture here that we want to bring out. Or in lewdness and lust. Nor in strife and envy. Okay, so you have. You have these, going back to the ESV, you have, you have the orgies and drunkenness. He's describing a party animal, all right? It's okay to laugh, all right? Yes, he he's describing a party animal is what he's doing here. He's describing someone who's living for their own pleasure, for their own physical pleasure. And I don't think it's really valuable to tear these apart, but let me bring something to your attention here. And to me, I thought this was fascinating because he is putting the party animal on the same level as the person who lives with strife and envy. So maybe you're not into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but are you a striver? Are you a fighter? Are you a contentious person? Are you an envious person? Are you a jealous person? The way I'm reading this text is is it it, it isn't that Paul is saying, yeah, you know, don't be like a party animal. And, you know, I don't want you to be as a striver or a fighter and an envious person either. He's putting them on the same level. He's saying, take this stuff off. Now, of course, my favorite saying comes into play here. We may not be those who drink, smoke, dance. Of course, I was Southern Baptist then, so, right, you couldn't dance. Um, We may not be those who drink, smoke, dance, or maybe not much. We don't chew or go with girls who do, right? That's my favorite part. Anyway, um, and I grew up in a church that, that you know, that just, just he, the, I love this pastor, too. God bless him. But he just railed on that stuff. <laughs> Made me want to go out and do it more as a young t- teenage kid. But he just railed on that stuff. but he rarely picked on those that wanted to fight and if you've been around southern Baptist much they like to fight he rarely railed on those who were envious or jealous the thing is if we if we're looking for a fight and have you ever met people that are looking for a fight of course you have you got two choices don't you usually you fight back or an E9 once told me the best way to deal with people when they want to play a game is you don't play with them that was great advice from a guy who I had very little respect for not this E9 by the way <laughs> but anyway <laughs> but it was great advice We clean up the externals for the most part, I think. Sometimes that's really hard to do. Sometimes that's easier to do. But then we have to deal with the interior of who we are. Who we are on the inside. What what what's what's creating all, all this? This desire for striving and fighting and and domineering and controlling. Or somebody gets a new truck and you're envious. I sat in someone's fairly new truck over a week ago. Boy, it was fun. I was looking for the keys. But uh <laughs> Anyway, I wasn't envious, but it was like, man, I love this thing. I could move in here, you know. Um, And if anything else, you know, it's like, you know, rejoice when, when God blesses somebody with something like that. Because the thing is, what I have found, and I've ta- other people have told me this, I've found this in my own experience, that when you become really envious for something and you've got to have it, you've got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, and guess what happens when you get it? It isn't quite what you thought it would be. Since we're talking about cars, then you get your first scratch, right? But what type of a person has these type of things that are brewing on the inside? It is the type of person who neglects what we saw in, in, in uh, verse 8. To owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. What I, What I love about this idea, I thought about this. Later last week after Wednesday night and this idea of loving your neighbor and we talked about this we looked at the the the, parable, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan on Wednesday night and This idea of loving your neighbor and, this, and, I, and I thought about this particularly Today Because I I have interesting neighbors Do you have interest you have some of you have very interesting neighbors, right? But to love them is really, as I thought about this, this idea of loving your neighbors is really a calling to love people that, that are at the, uh, the farthest reaches of your life. You know, You follow what I'm saying? I mean, unless you're buddies with your neighbor, okay? But, but really, and in the example that, that Jesus gave us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, The one who loved his neighbor was a Samaritan who loved a Jew. Someone who was at the farthest reaches, if you will, of that Samaritan's life. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. That's an understatement. And it wasn't just the Jews not liking Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like Jews either, okay? And and this calling to love those at the far reaches of your life and then to bring that inward. And to love the people close to you. And loving the people close to you sometimes is incredibly easy, but sometimes it's also incredibly hard because we take that love for granted. And I, 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 a friend of mine who was pastor's son, he, he, you know, he, he, he told me so many stories growing up in a pastor's house that were interesting. But, but, and he knew his dad loved him. But his, love, his dad was so busy loving the neighbor that he never really felt like he was loved by his own dad. Remember him sharing that with me. And and to remember that that you don't just go out and love your neighbor and now you've done your duty. You let that love come inward and love the people in that close circle that you have. And, And in other words, being a loving person is something that becomes who you are, not something that you do. Does that make sense? Now... Especially at times with family, you just want to wring their neck, don't you? I'm <laughs> being honest here, right? You're just like, ah. Oh. And how difficult it is sometimes to love them. And to me, that's been the challenge at times, is, is, is I can love the neighbor from afar, and then, you know what? <laughs> then I can go home, Right? I don't know why I'm going here, but I just feel like this is the direction we're supposed to—we're really supposed to consider this this morning. It's not in my nose, but Chris—it hardly ever is. But, but, but nonetheless, to bring that love inward and 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 to recognize that my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be expressed in how I love my neighbor. Yes but it's also going to be expressed in how I love the people that are the closest to me. And how am I going to to be the love of God to them? And and he tells us here in, in 13 and in 14, tells us to walk properly. He told us in verse 12 to put on the armor of light. But then he tells us in verse 14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's really interesting about verse 14 where it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Those two verbs are in the imperative in the Greek. In other words, they're commands. The other verbs that are used earlier in this passage are not imperatives by the way even even where it where it says uh to to put on uh the armor of light. What makes it even interesting to me was was that in verses eleven through thirteen in the verbs Paul is using. Uh, he's using the, the first person. But the grammar is structured in such a way. Now, what is first person? What does that mean? I'm oh, sorry. If, if, in other words, he's talking about himself. But the grammar of the other words that are associated with the verbs are constructed in such a way that he's saying, you and I need to do this, is what he's really saying. You and I need to put on the armor of light. You and I need to cast off the deeds of darkness. You and I need to walk, where it says here, uh, walk properly. But then when he goes to verse 14, he changes the verb structure, their imperatives, and he's writing them in the second person. Where he's already you and I, you, us, enough. Now he's saying you need to do this. This is the command that you are to walk in. You are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We've been using a clothing analogy here, right? And Rome, Revelation chapter 19, I think it's right around verse 18. I didn't throw out my notes, but it talks about, about the, the, um, the bride being readied for the bridegroom. And it talks about the bride being clothed in fine linen. And then, it, I think it's around verse 8. But I think, and then it tells us that the fine lim, linen is what? It's the righteousness of the saints. The fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So when we put on the armor of light, when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now now we're not putting on a thing. We're putting on a person. And again, he's talking to saved people here. He's talking to Christians. And and what what he's implying here is that you can become a Christian and, and, and then live like the theological place of eternal punishment, essentially. But he's saying cast off the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. And then he makes it so much more personal where he's saying put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say put on Jesus. Put on kurios, the Lord. Kurios. It's a Greek word in the Septuagint. Greek translation of the Old Testament that is used in the place of the proper name of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it is a recognition of the deity of Jesus. It is a recognition of his lordship. And the word Christ is not a last name, right? You know that. Christ is a translation for the word Messiah. Put on Yahweh, Jesus, Messiah. For goodness sake, that is a tall order, isn't it? And when the bride is finally ready, remember this, this passage has end time, end time hints to it, okay? When the bride is finally ready, the bride is clothed in the righteousness of the saints, It means that we are going to take on his nature. We are going to take on his character. We are going to look at life through the same set of eyes by which he looked at. That's why I think the study of the Gospels is so important. Uh, Let me encourage you, if you haven't sat down and now, I know some of you are on Bible reading programs and do what you want. You're going to anyway, right? But anyway, but let me encourage, for the rest of you, let me encourage you to to keep a steady diet of the Gospels and read those. In fact, I think, I'm still thinking when we get done in Romans, I really want to do Lamentations, but maybe we'll do another Gospel. Maybe we'll do another Gospel through the book. Of, never mind, I'm just kidding. Um, but the nature of Christ, to put on Christ. And I can only do this by my own power till one of you makes me mad. Isn't that true? And, and, and some, of us, some of us are more hot-tempered than each other. Some of us are much more hot-tempered than each other, and, and, and we get angry, and all this stuff just goes right out the window. Then we feel horrible later. We probably should. Maybe if we didn't, we should worry more. But to put on the character of Christ, to put on the nature of Christ, to to be able to see things as Jesus sees them, to recognize we are his hands, that we are his feet, it requires a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit upon us. Told in the book of Acts. For some reason I half of it's I've got it in my head and I can only retrieve half of it, so I'll misquote it. So I'm gonna turn there. Acts one. Then I'm gonna close. Okay. In verse six of Acts one, in verse four of Acts 1. I'm going to read. And being assembled together with them, he, that is Jesus, commanded them to depart from, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, Jesus said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you realize that in verse 6 was not even anywhere near the context of what Jesus had just said in verse 5? They totally blew that off. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. Kairos. Times, chronos, seasons. Kairos, same word that's translated time here in Romans 13, which is a, I don't have the time, we're out of time anyway, but it's a technical end time term, okay, just trust me on that one, Uh, if you want we can look at it on Wednesday night, I taught on it a couple years ago when we did end time studies. Now if you know the times and seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, it to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's redirecting them. They're looking for an earthly kingdom. He's looking for a heavenly kingdom. They're looking for something physical and tangible. He's looking for something much more tangible but spiritual. See, we always equate the physical with the tangible. The reality is the physical realm is the true reality. You ever think about that? Good. I have some looks on your face. It's good. Think about that for a while. But it's in surrendering to the Holy Spirit each and every day and asking for his power to come upon us, I believe, each and every day by which then we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. We need the empowerment daily of the Holy Spirit. So if I were going to adjust this, and I didn't, because it's not my call, but I would insert, wake up, call upon the Holy Spirit to get dressed and put on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. And if you're like me, some of you are. About an hour later, I need the Holy Spirit to empower me once again. And depending on what's going on in your life at that particular time, before noon, I need it again. And when someone comes home, I need it again. See, we're helpfully, helpfully dependent, not helplessly. We are helpfully dependent on the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it is in the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we are able to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Amen.